Hi, this is Pastor Jake from Harvest Community Church. We meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. at 18511 East Hampton Avenue, Suite 204. We're located in the Movie Tavern Shopping Center next to the State Farm. You can check us out online at Facebook or on our webpage at harvestcolorado.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. We are continuing our Glimpses of God series uh, in the season of Lent, and uh, we are in Mark chapter 6. Um, oh yeah, if you're... I always forget, you know, I apologize. Well, that's what happens about halfway through the sermon too, so people are like, that's it, I can't deal with this. <laughs> Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you. And when they leave, shake the dust off your feet or dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. When I was a little boy, I learned how to ride a bike. You all remember what that was like. First starts out with training wheels. Actually, usually first starts out with a big wheel, which, by the way, they make adult-sized big wheels. Uh, I want one. It drifts. You can go down the street, and you can just be hitting major. I mean, you, it's like Fast and the Furious, only with adult toys. It's fantastic. But you start off on a trike, or you start off on a, uh, a big wheel, and then you move up to a bigger bike. It has training wheels, typically. I remember my first bike that had training wheels had solid tires. Many of the young people in here, I don't know what that is. This is like uh, hardened plastic tires. Imagine what the Flintstones may have felt like riding in their car. That's what plastic tires felt like. And they wouldn't break, or they, they wouldn't blow up if they got a hole in them. They would just ride around with a giant gash of broken plastic on your bike tire. Eventually, you graduate to a regular bike with training wheels on it, and you're scooting around. And then it comes the big day where you're like, your dad or your mom say, all right, this is the deal. We're going to ride your bike without training wheels. Very exciting. And I remember my dad, uh, this was in South Dakota, and I remember on East Mead Street on the sidewalk, my dad would hold on to the back seat of my blue bike with a banana seat. This was a great bike. And run. And run. And he'd hold on to this back thing. There was like a carrying handle on the back of those banana seats. And there was four dads and moms. He would hold on to it and run with you while you pedaled and pedaled and pedaled. Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And eventually, somewhere along the way, dad let go. I'm riding, I'm riding, I'm riding. And as soon as you realize you're riding, you fall. And I did. I crashed into the neighbor's lawn real quickly. But it was a moment of rejoicing for my dad to watch me graduate from training wheels to riding a two-wheeler by yourself. And there's a great freedom that comes with that. Suddenly, you can go and become a bicycle gang with your friends all down the street. Suddenly, you can hit the jumps and you can go crazy and do all sorts of things. Heck, even if your parents knew how to ride a bike, which most parents do, they began, you could ride with them. What a joy. What a joy. In this story, it's kind of like that. Jesus is almost taking the training wheels off and saying, hey, you've been with me for a while. It's time to go out. I've been running with you for quite some time. It's time to let you go and time to let you go out and test out your legs, the things I've been training you to do, the things that I've been calling you to do. It seems that in this scripture this morning, it reminds us that Jesus invites and empowers and sends his disciples into their world to dwell with people, proclaim the gospel, and heal the needy. 
But why would they go? To think about it for a moment, this is a very strange thing. Jesus, all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, after being rejected by his hometown, says, hey guys, listen, I've been planning something for you. I want you to go out and do this thing that I've been doing. I want you to go do. Why would they go? Well, see, these disciples had discovered something about Jesus that only comes from following him. They discovered that Jesus is the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in person, that God himself had condescended to become human and dwelt among men to show them the way, to be with them, God of very God, true God of true God, dwelling in flesh with them, being where they are. This was something so radically amazing that it changed their whole understanding of reality. God in the flesh, dwelling with amongst men, God with us. You see, Jesus had demonstrated by his life, not only in word, but in deed, he had come to preach the nearness of God and demonstrate it through his forgiveness his healing, his restoration, and his resurrecting of the dead, creating a right standing with God. You see, these 12 unruly and crazy people who would never have gathered together with them by themselves are all united under this Christ, this God in the flesh, standing with them today saying, it's time to take the training wheels off. So he invites them. I love how it starts off here. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. There's this invitation and preparation and sending aspect to this story. He calls the twelve. See, Jesus uses the absolute worst group of missionaries. Think of what a missionary would look like today. We kind of think of them as kind of guy in the tie and the shirt and going off to a foreign country and carrying around a bag full of Bibles and handing them out. They're all upstanding and right and they all look put together. But this first group of missionaries was not that. You had two loudmouthed brothers, James and John, who would like to call down lightning and thunder upon their enemies. You had Peter, who had a mouth like a sailor and was impulsive constantly, wanting to cut people's heads off. He had all sorts. You had a doubter in Thomas and the rest of the guys. And you even had one betrayer. Think about that for a moment. Guys walking around with him for three years, the one who actually betrayed him and in his own life because of the guilt over it. The worst group of missionaries ever. Most ragtag group of, like the Dirty Dozen, if you remember the movie. And they kind of were the Dirty Dozen, if you think about it a little ways. But he invites them. The word here, called, means invite. It means summon. It means saying, would you like to come and, and be a part of something amazing? You come into my work that I'm already doing. It's like when your dad was in the backyard working on the fence or working on a house project, and he comes to you and says, listen, would you like to come help build this with me? And that feeling, that feeling of, of belonging and participation in something greater than yourself, this is what Jesus is inviting them to. This invitation conveys value to them, value that they did not earn. And then it says here, not only does he call them, but he begins to send them out. So the idea is that Jesus just didn't give them a bunch of tracks and didn't give them a bunch of, this is how you do this thing, but he pours himself into their lives. He literally takes himself and replicates himself within them. Over and over and over, they watch him as he speaks truth. He preaches good news and he does good things. Those two cannot be divorced. You cannot have just simply go preach the word and you cannot have simply go good deeds. The good deeds cause, are the cause for the preaching. The preaching is the cause for the good deeds. You see, they are one and the same. So Jesus begins to prepare them. 
See, following Jesus daily enabled them to hear the gospel and assimilate it. And following Jesus daily showed them how to live like he did. And it also says here that Jesus gave them authority. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but your dad will say, hey, I want you to go take this thing down the street to this neighbor. My dad says that I need to give you this. It's as if your parents had given you the responsibility, the authority to act on his behalf. Go do this for me. And that's what Jesus did. He said, go out under my authority, under my banner, and do these things. Go do. He gives them the authority to be himself in, those, in that local area. And then he sends them. So he calls them, he pours into them, and then he sends them. He trains them, he equips them, and he releases them out into the mission field. But it's fascinating to look at where they go. There used to be an old, uh, old Christian song a long time ago. It says, but please don't send me to Africa. Thank you. You remember that song. It was this whole thing of like, I'll do anything, Lord, but please don't send me there. But if you notice, Jesus doesn't send them to an outer rim country, an outer circle. He doesn't send them to somewhere else. He sends them local. Look what I mean. He said to them, whenever he, uh, it says in verse 8, he charged them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no money, no bag, no belt. Wear sandals. And one change of clothes. He's sending them to a local place. He's sending them someplace nearby. Their gear list was so small that it indicated that they could not really travel very far. It was a short radius. It was a short circle of influence that they could go. Just go local, as if he was saying. In a sense, they were headed into familiar places, almost like what they had just come out of a, f- a few days earlier. In reality, they were sent into a local place, but they were sent in community. You notice it says he sent two by two. Jesus doesn't send his disciples out by themselves. He sends them out in pairs because the gospel is something to be shared in community, for community. And then he sends them with authority, like I said. Jesus entrusted his power to the powerless so that his gospel could reach where, his, where he could not in his humanity. God may be everywhere at all times, and Jesus is always omnipotent, but in his humanity, he was confined to one specific place, which is why he uses people like you and me to go into all the world. So, he invites, he prepares, and he sends. And then something amazing happens. They are to go into those places and dwell and serve. If you look with me at what it says here, what Jesus says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. There's an element of when he sent there, not just to go and do a thing and then come back, but to go and be, to go and dwell, to go and be a part of the community in which you are called. He says, stay in one place while you're able. While you're there, proclaim the good news that Jesus proclaimed. The kingdom of God is at hand was the simple gospel message that Jesus said. And then to heal like Jesus healed. He anoints with oil common medicinal practice back then, but it was also much more than that. There was a symbolic gesture to that, saying, God, we're here to heal you with this oil, but in a sense that God is coming to bestow His Spirit that you may be healed wholly, holistically. So the gospel is not just about saving your soul, but the gospel is about saving all of you, our emotions, our spirit, our physicality, It's the promise of resurrection. The anointing of the oil was a symbol of the bestowment of the Spirit of God and natural health care. 
See, the gospel, like I said, is a whole self good news, a healing for the spirit, mind, and the body. And while they were there dwelling with those people, their ministry became a ministry of word, deed, and new being. They were to give of themselves wholly to that community where they were. To give of themselves just like Christ had been doing all this time. Going, dwelling, healing, proclaiming. That is the nature of a, of a missionary. That is the nature of what Jesus is calling them to do. And then lastly, they are to return. It's an interesting thing here, it says, because it, there's two ways of leaving. There's the leaving that says, we're leaving because the work is done. We're leaving because they, uh, their message was received and they'd replicated who Jesus was in that community and that they'd received it and they had become new. So the disciples who make disciples can leave for the next thing because the disciples are on, on scene. Jesus has been, re, uh, has been replicated in a sense. But there's the other aspect of leaving. Leaving because they were rejected. So rejection here is not just that, no, that's not for me, but in this context, it's so much more of a get the, you know what, out. We don't want that here. Take your stuff and get out. This isn't that community. You can leave. Don't even come in. It's overt. It's obvious. It's raw and unfettered unbelief, like eating liver and onions. If you've ever had liver and onions, it's a terrible experience. Seriously, this, that is the feeling you have when these people are rejecting the gospel. It's like, oh, no, no. You will not feed me this. We're eating Brussels sprouts. So Jesus says, do this. Shake the dust off your feet. Now to us, in this context, it doesn't seem like much. But this was a great insult. This is a great judgment. Saying, your unbelief has condemned you and we are... And we wash our hands of this. We're done. We're not going to invest anymore in this thing. You've rejected it. We're going to respect your rejection and walk away. Two types of leaving. And then they come back. See, invitation and sending seems to be a continuous cycle. See, they return, they come back to Jesus and report all that had happened. They come back and say, yeah, it was amazing. Oh, man, we saw people get healed and demons got you know, washed away from people's uh, spirits. And oh, my gosh, people believed in the good news. And some people came back and said, yeah, man, that was rough. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've never had that much vitriol towards me ever. I can't believe that. They came back to rejoice and lament all in the same place. The return is a lot like what we do here on a church Sunday. We rejoice in the way that God has worked, and then we also lament in the ways that we've been rejected, and that we've had to endure pain and suffering. We come to be strengthened and return to the mission field, ready to be Jesus' hands and feet of healing, voice of peace, and the feet of justice to our neighbors. I think the scripture invites us, just like Jesus invited the disciples, I think he's inviting us to follow him as well. I think he really wants this church, as with every church, to be a church on the move, on the go, going where he goes. A lot of the times we struggle with this because we often will really want what Jesus has, but we don't want who Jesus is. 
And that's a struggle for us. Because Jesus offers us so much good things. Life, peace, joy, fellowship, communion. But all of these things are consequences of having Him. He wants us to have Him. The reason these guys could go out is because they have Jesus first. And that He is enough for all of them. So I think Jesus here is calling us to do something radical. First, he's calling us to follow. Follow me. You know, Jesus' gospel was always, hey, this is the gospel, this is the good news, follow me. Follow me. What are you doing right now? Sell your stuff, follow me. What are you doing right now? Are you going to bury your father? Let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. Follow me. Come after me. You see, the disciples got to where they were with Jesus by going where he went, living a life of nearness to Jesus, of closeness, of loyalty to him. And it came by repentance, a terrible word in our culture, but a really radical word in this culture. It means a 180-degree mental and spiritual turnaround to trust the one who's calling them. Come, follow me. Where are we going? Follow me. Is it going to be rough? Follow me. Just come see. Come see. See, Jesus' invitation to us has always been that. Leave it behind. Seek me. Seek first the kingdom of God. Come after me. And those who are followed are called and then they are sent. Jesus is calling you and I this morning to follow him. Follow me. Follow me. Every Sunday, I want to say that I follow him. Every Monday morning when the next sermon's ready to start, maybe I don't want to do it. Follow me. When the music needs to be written or put out together, Greg follows. Children's put their stuff together. Follow me. Follow me. But on a practical level, what do we do with this? Simply this. I think Jesus is letting us or encouraging us this morning. The Spirit of God is encouraging us this morning to come and be equipped to follow Jesus together in community. Just in the same way that the disciples here were in community with Christ together and out in the field themselves, Jesus is inviting us to come and follow him together. Yes, faith in Christ is personal. We all must make a personal decision and a personal trust in him. We all must say yes to Jesus. We all must place our faith in him and what he's done for us on the cross by his grace. We must pledge individual loyalty to him to the one who died in our, in our stead. But... We are not saved into something individual. We are saved into community. We are saved into a body of believers like the ones in this congregation. We are saved into a body of believers and sojourners, fellow journeymen on our way home. We travel together. So I think Christ is encouraging us to stick together. Make our meetings that we have weekly, not only in this church on the Sunday morning, but in our homes Lunch times, hanging out, playing music on Thursdays. Make our weekly meetings a priority, for it is the place where we meet Jesus together. It is the place he meets us. I love what it says in Hebrews, don't forsake the meeting as some are in the habit of doing. This is a priority, because this is where we meet Jesus together. Secondly, I think Jesus is encouraging us through this word this morning that we are to go together into our local context and be his ambassadors, the sent ones. And he equips us with his gospel. 
which becomes the subject of our daily devotions, the message we must keep ever in our hearts and our minds and we, as we enter into the world. You see, I understand what it means to go into the world every day. I work just like you guys. I go to a job. I go sit at a desk. I interact with people who may or may not be believers. I'm like you. I get it. I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is to live the gospel in front of people when we're so tempted not to. I get it. But he encourages us here. Follow me. Live my gospel in word and deed. And he invites us to stay where we are. Be hospitable wherever God puts you. Wherever God sends you. Be, be Jesus in that place. Bringing graciousness. Bringing healing and wholeness and life to those that are perishing. Who do you know at your job or your neighbor that is struggling? God calls us into a compassionate ministry with them to say, come alongside and say, I know who you are. Jesus knows who you are. God is not far from you. You become this word and deed person, not only through our speech, but through our actions as well. Remember, as I said before, you cannot take word and deed and separate them. They are one and the same. And Jesus modeled that for us perfectly. We are equipped not only with the gospel, but we are equipped with his love for us, for others. See, if I told you before earlier that we notice that the proclaiming and the action are not done as conquerors. We're not going out to the, the places we work in our neighborhoods and our homes and seeking to conquer others for Jesus because that's not what he does. What we are called to do is to go in and love people. We are called to go in uh, and be healers and consolers and peacemakers and comforters because we have been saved by that very gospel. Because Jesus has done those things for us. And that's the way he wins us to himself and into a community like this. And then lastly, not only are we called into community, sent out by the Spirit of God into the world to proclaim and, uh, and work his good deeds amongst those who don't know, but we are also then called to return. Weekly we return. We come here after we're done singing every Sunday and, ex and express the joys, express the pain, express the sorrow, and express the laughter. And we pray together, and we worship together. We take communion together, remind ourselves of this great gospel. I think Jesus is encouraging us through his spirit this morning to return to him regularly in community worship, celebration, strengthening, and instruction. You listen to me quietly and patiently on a Sunday morning, not so much uh, out of you know decency, which I appreciate, but... Uh, you listen to hear the voice of God say something to you that helps you deal with the world you're about to go back into. Some nugget. Something that you can hold on to and say, uh, I needed that. I'm gonna, this is how I can use that when I get out there. So we return to him weekly in our Sunday service. This is the place to rejoice over his work in and through us. This is the place to lament over the failures and rejections. And this is the place to be reconciled one to another, where peace is made between enemies. This is the place of healing and restoration. You won't find it out there. But the Spirit of the Lord is in here who has spoken peace to each one of us. Therefore, we should speak peace to each other. And that way, it creates an event in here and people go, why? Well, because of Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker has made peace with me and him. In this place, Jesus meets us and works on us and prepares us for the week. 
You see, the gospel is holistic. It's practical aspects along with spiritual truths. Here we pray and care, care for and remember his death and resurrection. Here we are renewed and re-enabled to go back into the mission field, back into our normal lives outside of this place. This is God's word for us this morning. He sends us. He sends you and you and you. When you leave this place today, you will take the gospel with you. Be encouraged. Be strengthened by the one who has suffered so much for you, who has died and rose again in order to give us new life that we might walk in newness of life, not in the old sinful ways, but in the ways of holiness, in the ways that project as somebody else out there. Why are you the way you are? Why is that group pray for you or uh, when you're down? What happens there? And you go, well, that's where we meet Jesus. And he met with us. See, when I learned to ride a bike, it opened up a whole new horizon of adventure. You know, like I said, it used to be training wheels with my dad holding the seat. But once you got your balance, you let go. and became infinitely better. See, with Jesus, he props us up for a while. When we come to faith in Christ, as new disciples, man, he's holding on to that bike seat. He's just holding on going, you're not ready yet. But at some point, he lets go. He empowers us with his authority and his power and his resurrection in us and says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all to, uh, to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, when my dad let go, my dad wasn't there. But when Jesus lets go, it's not as if he lets go of me and I'm off by myself. It's as if he was riding all along next to me the entire time. And he lets go and, says, and looks over and says, Ha ha, I'm right there. Come on, we're going together. He invites us to ride with him. To go with him. To go where he goes. And then he invites us back. Tell me the adventure. Tell me your triumphs. Tell me how I hit that jump. Tell me how you fell in the neighbor's yard. Tell me how you broke your knee. And then he joins us, and we go back out, strengthened, put back together.